The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available from $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and in this episode, we continue my interview with Harry Karamitis. Now, this episode's focus is actually going to be on 100% Back to the Future and how things worked and the, the little issues that he ran into. You'll notice that Lauren's not here. We were going to do the recording last night, and then the Diamond Brothers, the directors, you might know of them, they do a lot of music videos, came to Toronto, and Tej and I ended up going out drinking with them. So, in the meantime... Enjoy this interview with Harry Karamitis. Afterwards, I will let you know about a few other things. EditFest is coming, as well as a new competition on industryhappenings.com. So, in the meantime, enjoy the interview. I was wondering if you could tell me how you got involved with Back to the Future. Sure. I'll go back to my first encounter with Artie Schmidt. Back in the 70s, I was working at Universal Studios in the uh, sound department doing loops in dialogue, and... That was some of my first union jobs. And I had, they you do different reels of different movies that are being done or television shows. And so I was working on a reel of Jaws 2. Oh, wow. And I was, uh, I, they, so they bring it on the stage to preview it to make sure some other one stage so they don't, and we were just running with a picture editor to make sure everything is there that they want and the dialogue sounds good so that we don't have to bounce things off the stage because it's too expensive when you have three mixers and sit around and wait for Fix things. So anyway, my encounter with, was with Artie Schmidt. He was a second editor on Jaws 2. So he was sitting and watching the reels, and we just sat and started to chat and found out that uh, we enjoyed each other's company, and we ended up being family friends, and we ended up sharing architects for the, you know, the remodeling of our houses and that kind of stuff you know, over the years. And so we've stayed friends all, you know, like six or seven years. And over the time, I was doing independent and low-budget movies. In 1985, I'd just finished Children of the Corn, and Artie was, was, had moved up from second editor and had won Emmy for Jericho Mile, and then he got nominated for Academy Award for Coal Miner's Daughter. So he was he was getting a very good reputation. So and he got... He was noticed by Bob Zemeckis and asked to edit Back to the Future. They they knew they needed two guys because the schedule was too fast, and they wanted Bob, I mean Bob and Bob Gale, the producer, wanted them to hire somebody, Artie to hire somebody that Artie wasn't sure of because he didn't have enough credits. And Artie suggested that they talk to somebody else and suggested they talk to me. And first of all, he went to make sure that I could do the job. He went to see Children of the Corn because he wasn't going to recommend a friend if he couldn't do the job. So he saw Children of the Corn, he liked it, and he recommended that I speak to them. So I did, and I got the job. And I became the second guy on the Back to the Future trilogy. Now, you, you mentioned there that it was a short uh, post schedule. Yes. If I if I'm not mistaken, it was it was nine or ten weeks. Very short. I don't remember the exact number. Artie's better at remembering those weeks, but very something like that. We it was shortened even more than we 
we start we when we started shooting there wasn't much time and then they threw away the first six weeks of shooting because they had Eric Stoltz as the lead as Marty McFly and that wasn't working and then they recast Michael J. Fox who was their original person and who wasn't available and came available after that six weeks. So a lot of machinations. So we had to throw away six weeks of editing and everything, almost an hour's worth of cut material, start over again. And uh, our deadline was August. We were supposed to have the film in the middle of August to come out. And uh, we showed the studio our, our cut, and they liked it so much they took away a bunch of weeks and said we had to show it in July. So we had to speed up even everything else, the two of us. It wasn't that we were, we didn't work like around the clock in horrendous days like that. We just worked steadily and hard and constantly every day, and we doubled up on some things, like the mixing stages were doubled up. When we were going to a preview, we were mixing preview mix at the same time as we were doing pre-dubs for final mix. So there were two stages going with that, and then... Even in the final mix, there were two stages going. There was a night stage, pre-mixing sound effects and foley and all that, and then they would come bring that stuff to the stage, pre-mix for the daytime, putting the dialogue and music and effects together. So that was nuts, and uh, and unfortunately, I think we invented the speeded up schedule. That was one of the first movies that did that craziness. How did you maintain or, or I guess, set out to maintain quality and make sure that the story worked while still meeting this, these crazy deadlines. Bob Zemeckis is always there. He knows the media, he knows the stories, he knows what he wants to do and how he wants to tell the story. And he's he's very amenable to suggestions from any of us, and he's appreciative of what you do, even if it's not exactly what he thought you should do or wanted to do in the first place. We were fortunate that a lot of the stuff was shot on the lot, the back lot, and he could come in between breaks when they were lighting. He could come and run a, run a reel with us or a scene and, and give us things to do to make it different or better or, and change it or find things that he wanted to reshoot because of uh, what he saw in the, in the cut material. Now, when you guys switched from Eric Stoltz to Michael J. Fox, was there a change in the editing style too? Or was it how did that affect you in, in post other than the time? It didn't affect us at all because uh, fortunately, Artie and I have a similar style working in editing. And Bob Zemeckis, of course, is the overarching controller of the form of the film and the style. And a good director, he gives you material that you can feel and sense what he wants. So it's coming out the way he wants it most often. You can read the director's mind, so to speak, and know why he's shooting things and what he's doing and what kind of coverage it is that he's giving you and why he wants it. You come out very close the first time through. And there... You're going to massage and finesse, all kinds of things. You might switch a take or you might change a, you know, a reading, but it's, if you get the basic structure, then after the other stuff is kind of fun to make it better. The hardest thing for me is always the first cut because that's, that's all the material. Just As you said, some directors just run the camera, run the camera, run, they run three cameras or five cameras. And say, Holy crow, how am I going to just look at stuff all day long you only look at daily and you haven't done any work now i want to talk about because you continued to work on the back to the future series so you did part two and part three and what i noticed was the films all had a very similar story structure to them so there was you know the issue with time and having to go fix 
an issue. But yet, through the storytelling and through the different approaches to it, they're very different. And I was wondering how you approached cutting the the two sequels, because they were cut, like, they were shot at the same time, to make sure that they were different enough uh, to engage the audience, but similar enough to reference back to the first one. I think that a lot of that can be attributed to the script by Bob Gale. They they really wrote a very, very good script. I, I'll, I'll go back to the first Back to the Future, is when, when they said they would hire me, I hadn't seen a script. They wouldn't see a script if you weren't on the picture. And when they gave me the script, of course, they had number stamped on it, so if anything ever showed up in the press or anything, you were on, you were arrested and kicked off your job because they knew where it came from. But I read the script when I got it, but I couldn't believe I'd read such a good script. It's amazing. And they're so tight and so well done. So anyway, the, the script is was the overarching thing, and then the, what we did, Artie and I, was whoever did what, whichever kind of sequence in Back to the Future 1, mm-hmm. the similar sequence in Back to the Future 2 and 3. The style, they pretty much the same. The ideas, all the things we learned about me, what I learned about doing the, the dance, or what I learned about the chase through the tunnel, you know, came from what the skateboard chase was, and that, you know, the hoverboard chase was that also. So those kinds of things were con- continuous, continuous. Like, they're very similar. Yep. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that would would give us the the similar feeling, but then, like, for instance, the dance, Bob shot it from a different angle. The second time, he would be backstage, seeing things from backstage, but everything in front is is going on the same, when in fact, in the first back feature, everything was on the floor and looking at the stage. You know, Marty's crawling along the top of you know, the lights and that kind of, he's seeing himself play down below, so you're seeing that point of view. So that's that's different. Well, it's it's interesting because you you've answered one of my other questions with that, which was the skateboard sequence in the first one. It seemed to set up the hoverboard sequence, the chase sequence in the tunnel, yep. uh, in that style. So you guys just, if it was a similar style, you would cut it yourself. We, yeah, we did we did the same scenes, like the end scene where he chasing the car, going getting up to eighty eight miles an hour and hitting you know lightning hitting the. The clock tower, I did that, so then I did the end sequence and the others, too. Now, because they compressed the second two films into one shooting schedule, did that affect you in post, or were you given more time? How did how did it affect you? Well, it was, they weren't shot simultaneously, they were shot back-to-back. Back-to-back, sorry. And so, while we were, we sh- we were in Sonora, uh, California, shooting back, third Back to the Future, and we were... We were still editing the second Back to the Future and going to the dubbing stage. So what that meant was Artie would concentrate on finishing the second movie, and I'd concentrate on cutting the first cut of uh, the third and cut, you know, keeping up with the dailies and that kind of stuff. So we kind of split duties at the end of uh, the shooting, the, the beginning of the three. When Back to the Future 2 was shooting, we were in town and we were at the ambulance, so we were cutting that stuff together, but then Artie... When three showed up, we had to split up some way, and so Artie did that. And Bob Zemeckis was was a very harried kind of a guy at that moment because sometimes we'd get a little a private jet and fly from Sonora down to Los Angeles. Uh, at the end of shooting day, we were shooting in the, in the fall, late fall, so you know light was done around 4:30 or 5. So after by 5:30, he was on it. He was on the jet flying to Los Angeles, so he could get there the dubbing stage at 6.30 and spend a couple of hours mixing, looking at what they've done during the day uh, and giving 
criticism and correction or whatever he needed to do for that stuff that they were mixing together for the final for Back to the Future 2. And he'd fly, and then he'd sleep at the hotel in uh, Universal Studios and then fly back at 6 in the morning to start shooting at 7.30. So that was nuts for a while. He once said that he thought that maybe Back to the Future 2 was more sped up than it should have been because he was so sped up going back and forth. Oh, really? But it felt felt right, the pacing in it. We, like, throughout the series, the the pacing works. So, which I guess, I guess when you're cutting something, how do you approach uh, finding a pacing for it? Or how do you sort of discover the, the scene's pacing? It's, it talks to you. The movie talks to you. You have to feel it, sense it. Um, I always tell people the editing takes place in your head and in your gut and all those other things that we've used in the past and are using in the future to do the the work is like a hammer and chisel or you splice film or you do it digitally but if you're building a house in the old days you had a hammer and a saw in the new days you have a ham- you have a nail gun and a and a skill saw so it's just different tools you're still the same carpenter you're still doing the same kind of stuff still doing the same editor kind of thing it all comes down to story in the end it does it's it's all story we've all seen so many movies that had very little editing in that were great stories, and we were installed and, and, and stayed watching for 90 minutes without blinking because the story was so riveting. Yeah. Now, um, I have two more questions for you. And the first one is, if you had to pass on any knowledge or any particular idea to young film editors, what would that be? What would that be? Um, I would say that if no matter what, and it works for picture editors particularly, I think, but maybe in, in any discipline that you want to get into in the film business. I, if I had to do over again, and what I would recommend people to do, is I would study every aspect of motion picture production. I would just make sure that, I would even study acting. Mm-hmm. And I would, so I would understand all the aspects of it. These are the things that you learn along the way, but if you had studied them previously, mm-hmm. you had a leg up on getting started in, in the craft. Yeah. Now, my final question, and I asked this of all the editors, that's what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Um, well, I have to say that if, if I'm watching TV and I'm switching channels and I find Back to the Future, mm-hmm. sucked in, even though I have the DVD right in my <laughs> can't turn it off because yeah. watching it again. It's, for me, the best realized trilogy that's ever been made. Yeah. It resonates so well one to three with no questions about it mm-hmm. very tight script and well well produced well directed okay well that's that's a good good choice i'd say i just want to thank you for allowing me to interview you oh you're welcome i have enjoyed talking with you too so that was my interview with harry now as i was mentioning there's a new competition for industry happenings that's our sister site uh if you want there's going to be trivia there for film buffs and you just have to go to industryhappenings.com. And while there, there's going to be a few trivia questions posted. They're not up yet. They come up, I believe, this Friday or this Monday. Check them out, and you get a chance to win an Art of the Guillotine shirt. Right? Everyone wants one. This is your easy way of getting them. So, check that out. Next, Edifest is coming. If you haven't gone to Edifest and, and you're close to New York or you're close to L.A., go. Because it's going to be a blast. This year we've got the Avengers coming. We've got the editor of Bowley talking. We have the editor of the movie Holes, Billy Madison, 
just to name a few. Now, I'm definitely going to be there, so you can always come grab a beer with me. I'm trying to get a pub night set up there. Not too sure if it's going to happen, but definitely keep listening. So, I'm going to wrap this up. We'll have Lauren back next time, I promise. I'd like to thank Harry Karamitis for allowing me to interview him. I'd like to thank the American Cinematators and Jenny McCormick for setting this up. I'd also like to thank Lauren Woodcock, my producer. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.